Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. I started this podcast a couple of years ago because I needed a way to keep straight all the information that I was learning about Anishinaabe history. I didn't grow up knowing this stuff. No one told it to me. I had to go searching for it. Different books, different websites, different people I've met would tell me bits and pieces of things and I'd keep it cobbled together, try to make sense of it. This goes back to before the days of the internet. My mom had sacred legends of the Sandy Lake Cree on her bookshelf and I remember reading that and asking her questions from it trying to get pronunciations out of the glossary, but having her correct me on some of the stuff, and never really answering my questions, being evasive, avoiding the subject area. I didn't realize until years later that there's reasons for that. There's a lot of pain for her to remember these sorts of things that she went to residential school for to have erased from her. She's a residential school survivor, and I'm an intergenerational residential school legacy effect trauma survivor. So the reason why I do this podcast is to keep our culture together. It's to recapitulate Ojibwe culture so that this information can be passed on to other people. I gather information and I share it with people. That's what I do. My hope is that this information will help future generations understand Anishinaabe history because I've been using it for me to understand Anishinaabe history. And it's useful for anyone else who wants to know these things. That's why I put it out to the universe, free of charge. But there's a lot of information that I've put out there, and it's not all chronological. It doesn't always make sense. So in this episode, I want to try to tie up some of the threads that I've been putting out for the last couple of years and try to make sense of some of this information that relates to Anishinaabe history. For instance, I often talk about North America and the world in abstract terms of Turtle Island. But there is a place between between America and Canada called Big Turtle Island. And this island exists between Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. And this place has been used by Anishinaabe people for many years. Michilimackinac, Mackinac Island, and Big Turtle Island. Michilimackinac is derived from an Ottawa Ojibwe name for present-day Mackinac Island. The word Michilimackinac translates into English as Big Turtle. Geographically, this region is between Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. The Straits of Mackinac link Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. Mackinac Island was a strategic area controlling movement between the two lakes. Michilimackinac was controlled by Algonquian Anishinaabe nations including the Ojibwa, called Chippewa in the United States, and the Odawa. Michilimackinac is where the Three Fires Confederacy leadership would meet for important decision making concerning the three nations of the Confederacy. Michilimackinac has been a meeting place for the Anishinaabe nations for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Many treaties between indigenous nations and European nations took place at and around Michilimackinac due to its strategic and cultural importance. In a previous episode I talked about the Three Fires Confederacy 
and some of the earliest dates of it being known is about 896 AD. So that's over a thousand years ago. That time period, 8 to 900 AD, is when England was forming, when the tribes of the, the island of England were becoming colonized by themselves under one king. So that was happening around that time. Another thing I think that is interesting between, say, 900 AD and about 1400 AD, which is when the Ojibwe migration story is thought to have occurred, is the rise of Cahokia. And Cahokia is a place I've mentioned before, which is near present-day St. Louis, Missouri. This was a big place. It had palisade. 20,000 trees were needed to upkeep the wall around this place. And I'm wondering if there's a relationship between Cahokia and the migration story of the Anishinaabe people. And that goes back about a thousand years. So this area, Michilimackinac Island, goes back to those times. And I've mentioned before that people have lived on Turtle Island, not just Michilimackinac, but I mean North America. We've lived here for many thousands of years. And there's radiocarbon-dated human-worked fossils that have been found by archaeologists. Humans have been in the Yukon for 40,000 years. Old Crow Basin is important to know with regards to the human history of Turtle Island. Old Crow Basin is the largest of four interior lowland areas within the northern Yukon Territory, the others are Bluefish, Bell and Bonnet Loom. Long ago, these basins drained through rivers running to the Mackenzie Delta. During the Wisconsin and period of the last ice age a new outlet of meltwater runoff formed the ramparts of Porcupine River. This diverted the drainage of Old Crow, Bluefish and Bell Basins westward into what is now Alaska. Many fossils have been found in this region. The fossils represent many animals such as mammoths, mastodons, giant beavers, ground sloths, camels, horses, giant bison, short-faced bears, American lions, and short-faced skunks. Some of the mammoth bones were broken in distinctive ways that indicates human butchery and tool production. Some of these prehistoric human-worked fossils have yielded radiocarbon dates between 25,000 and 40,000 years old. It's important for us to know that we've been on Turtle Island for upwards of 40,000 years because for many hundreds of years, colonial governments have been trying to take away the rights of indigenous people with regards to the land that the indigenous people live on. That's what these treaties have been. And despite the treaty saying that there's areas that indigenous people can live and make their living on, the treaties have been broken again and again by colonial governments. In fact, that's what happened with the Declaration of Independence by the United States. They wanted to break away from the King's proclamation that Native people were sovereign and that anything having to do with them had to go through the King. So the 13 colonies rebelled against the King, and that's how the United States was born. But, they also made agreements with England and Canada to take indigenous land. That's why there's so many treaties. There's hundreds of them. I've only talked about a few of them on this podcast. And between the YouTube channel and this podcast, I've talked about the following. The Treaty of Casco, 1678. 
the Wabanaki Confederacy, 1680, the Treaty of Albany, 1701, the Treaty of 1725, signed between Britain and the Northeast Coast Nations after a war, the 1752 Peace and Friendship Treaty in Nova Scotia and Acadia, the 1760 and 61 Peace Treaty between Chief Paul Laurent of the Lahab Indians and King George II of Britain, the 1760 Peace Treaty between the Hurons and Britain, the Royal Proclamation of 1763, the Greenville Treaty signed in 1795, Treaty with the Ottawa, etc., 1807, also known as the Treaty of Detroit, there was the Treaty with the Chippewa signed in 1819, I did an episode on the Pine Tree Treaty that was signed in 1837. Then there was the Treaty of 1846, that's the Oregon Treaty. A reading of the Robinson Superior Treaty of 1850 is also available on the podcast. I also have an episode available about the Fort Laramie Treaty, which was signed in 1851. From there we get into what I call the more modern treaties, which are the Canadian Numbered Treaties, and those started in the 1870s. Now, these numbered treaties carried over into modern times, which includes Treaty No. 9, the adhesion of 1930, which I'm a part of. So these treaties go back hundreds of years, and many of them are still recognized by the Canadian government, and on the south part of the medicine line are recognized by the American government. What's important to realize is the Anishinaabe people exist on both sides of the Great Lakes and both sides of the international border. That border was created through indigenous territory without the involvement of indigenous leadership. It was done as part of the balkanization of not only the Anishinaabe people, but other indigenous groups. So I've talked about a few treaties and I've learned a lot, but that's still just scratching the surface. There are probably 400 treaties that might just be in the States. And I know that with the Ojibwe people, there are at least 60 treaties signed. So I'm going to go through a lot of that information and I will try to keep everybody up to date. Thanks for listening. That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.